Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Good morning, everyone. At this time, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our kiddos. So if you're between the age of three to seven, so three and five, six and seven, we're going to have two classes for you this morning. So if you will follow Tim out to the back, you guys can go and learn about Jesus together. All right. I think I asked this already, but how are we doing this morning? Everybody good? Good? Okay. Some of us are, some of us are not. It's all right. Um, my name is Josh. I'm one of the lead pastors here at the District Church, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and um, some of you may have forgotten about me just because I've been in and out of church uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, last week, I was actually down in one of our partner or sister churches being able to just fill in uh, the role of preaching for them as the main pastor and his wife uh, just had their second kid. And so we were able to help them out. Uh, Dwayne, I think, will also be going down there and being able to um, help them as uh, they transition into uh, another child, um, and they're able to celebrate the growth of their family. So uh, that was uh, a great task to be able to be a part of, but it is good to be back. Uh, it is good to be able to worship with uh, the people God has called me to, um, and being able to sing uh, and hear God's Word preached. So I am honored, um, and it is a joy to be able to uh, open up God's Word this morning with you guys. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter 1. Uh, we are continuing in our steadfast faith series as we walk through the book of James. Um, and what we've been taking a look at in the last couple of weeks is James's encouragement to his brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking through various trials. And his encouragement starts in verses 2 through 4 that they would remain steadfast under trials. And we see in verse 4 the, the, the purpose for them remaining steadfast is this, that they would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's important for us to remember that this is the framework that James, especially his encouragement up until verse 18 that we're reading through today, this is the framework that we see his encouragement through, or the, the lens in which we must remember this is how and why he is writing this passage in order for the brothers and sisters who are under various trials to be made perfect and complete. And the reason I bring this up is because sometimes we can look at verses like the one we have today and use them as coffee cup reminders. And this verse, these, these couple of verses, they present a universal truth and it's good and it's right, but what James is doing is he's taking this universal truth and then he's applying it to their lives. And so what we need to understand is the context in which James is writing these verses in order that we don't misinterpret what he's having to say when we apply it to our own lives or we give it to others as encouragement themselves. So remember this framework as James is talking and he's telling his brothers and sisters in Christ to not be deceived. Don't be deceived in the midst of trial. He's giving them encouragement under these various trials to not be deceived, to look to the Lord, to understand his goodness and his grace so that when you come out of these trials, you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So let's see what James has to say, starting in verse 16, writing to these Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is God's word this morning. Let us go to him in prayer and ask him to open our hearts and minds to what he has to say. Lord, you are good. As we just sang, Lord, I ask that you would show more of your goodness to us this morning. As we open up your word, Lord, let us find these truths to be helpful when we're walking through trial, that we may not be deceived, that we would have encouragement in doubt, that we would not be tempted to blame you for our sin in the midst of trial, but that we would look to you, knowing that these hard times, these trials that we may walk through have a purpose. And that first purpose is to glorify you, and the second is to be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So help us to fix our eyes on Christ. Help us to learn more about who you are from your word so that we may be mature in him. In Jesus' name, amen. So I read this week that one of Nigeria's largest industries is the con artist industry. Many of you might have received the email that the prince of Nigeria needs money to help him out because whatever reason is happening, he needs it. Now, unlike Michael Scott, when he says when the son of the disposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for money, you help him, we should not be deceived in this manner. Deception is real, though. And to be honest, we probably love deception more than we're willing to admit, right? I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so Jedi mind tricks are great, right? These aren't the droids you're looking for. We love ocean movies. We love the Italian jobs. We even love, as Dwayne, even though he's not in here, loves his Logan Lucky movie, which is the redneck version of Ocean's Eleven. We love good magicians. We love sleight of hand tricks. The list can go on and on and on, right? We love these types of deceptions, unless the deception harms us or happens to us. Now, I know these are lighthearted deceptions. These are things that we can laugh about, we can enjoy together. But Scripture shows us that there is a spiritual deception that we must be on the lookout for as believers in Christ, a deception that comes from the father of lies, as John 8, 44 shows us. The father of lies also employs his angels of false prophets who disguise themselves as angels of light, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11. These deceivers promise answers to our deepest questions, to our longings and concerns, but in the end, they deceive us into thinking incorrect thoughts about God and ourselves. These incorrect thoughts lead us to spiritual pain, spiritual depression, dark nights of the soul, weight that we can't and should not bear our own, on our own, and sometimes they even lead us to spiritual destruction. One of the greatest places that we are often tempted to be deceived is in trial. This is why it was important for me to open up and show that this entire encouragement is based on the believers walking through various trials. Because James knows that it is in trial that we can be deceived the most. 
Satan likes to employ attacks against God and his goodness and tries, us, tries to get us to question God in the midst of trial. We saw this in the beginning in Genesis 3, right? What does Satan bring to Eve in tempting her? Did God really say that? Satan will also try to get us to question God's goodness in asking, if he is so good, why are you in the midst of this terrible tragedy? Why has he allowed you to walk into this trial? And why hasn't he stopped it? Warren Worsby says one of the enemy's tricks is to convince us that our Father is holding out on us and that he doesn't care for us. Maybe you've experienced this type of deception. Maybe you've experienced the pain of feeling like you don't have enough faith because your pain or your health is failing you and it just won't change. Or maybe you have felt this deception because the things that you've longed for and prayed for aren't happening either as quickly as you'd like or not at all. And Satan has deceived you in thinking that God is not good and he doesn't care for you. Satan deceives us by getting us to compare ourselves to others, that their lives are somehow better than ours, whether they're a believer or not. This is what Asaph's cry in Psalm 73 is all about. As he looks around to the people of this world and he sees them excelling, and he sees them taking the people of God away from the truths of God. He begins to question where God is and his goodness. Satan even deceives us into thinking that we can take care of ourselves or others better than God can. Oftentimes when I prepare for sermons, what I like to do is I like to take the text and see how it applies to my own life first to have a a bit of realness. I don't want to get up here and tell you things about the Word of God that has not impacted myself. And this truth that I just shared with you, that Satan can deceive us into thinking we can take care of others better than he can, is something God gently reminded me of as I walked through this passage. You see, I, I am walking through some family trials right now. And this passage gently reminded me that it is not me who can bear the weight of my family. It is not me that can bear the weight and truly care for my family like God can. And so what I had to do was come to the Lord. I had to repent and and bring this to him and say, Lord, I, I can't care for them like you can. And oftentimes Satan can deceive us in the midst of trial to thinking that we can bear the weight that only God can. Now what I want us to look at as well is last week's passage They're excited about this as well. (laughs) I want us to connect to last week's passage in understanding why James has shifted into this language of do not be deceived. Because what we saw last week is that James is talking about temptation in the midst of trial, right? He's, He's telling his brothers and sisters, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he walks through it, he will receive the crown of life that God promises to those who love him. But then he says, when you're walking through temptation, don't say that it is God who tempts you. And what James is getting at is a universal truth applied to a specific situation. The universal truth is that temptation does in fact lead us to sin. And that our sinful desires are the things that entice us to sin. 
But in the midst of trial, James is saying, don't give in to this temptation to think that it is God who's tempting you. That it is God's fault because you sinned in the midst of this trial. James is saying in the universal truth of our own lives, because of our sinful natures, sin still comes and leads us into sin. And it's our sinful natures that cause us to doubt God's goodness in the midst of those trials. James is trying to show that it's not trials that lead us to sin. They might reveal our hearts, very much like a bad fruit will reveal where a tree's truly rooted in. But trials don't cause us to sin. And it's wrong to think that it is God who gives us these temptations in the midst of these trials to sin. And so James is bringing that to light and then contrasting and encouraging his readers to look at God's character and his goodness in the midst of the trial that you're walking through. Because ultimately, it is good for us. It is good for our maturity. We see in this passage that it is God who doesn't give us temptation, but in fact, he gives us good and perfect gifts, namely himself. And even in these good and perfect gifts, ultimately, we may walk through trials. And we can see those trials as gifts because we know that when we remain steadfast in them, we will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So this morning, what I want to answer is this question. How do we avoid deception in the midst of trials? How do we avoid deception in the midst of trials? So the answer to that, which will kind of be the umbrella of what we're going to be taking a look at, is this. By believing in God's sovereign goodness and his unchanging love for his people, we can avoid being deceived in the midst of trials. By believing in God's sovereign goodness and his unchanging love for his people, that is how we avoid deception in trials. So let's first take a look at God's sovereign goodness. James shows us in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from, the, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So what James shows us first and foremost in God's sovereign goodness is that he is the source of all goodness. He is the source of all the perfect gifts that we receive we sang this song this morning that has a phrase that I grew up with, and I'm, I'm kind of going to test if everybody else grew up with this phrase. But what do you say when you hear the phrase, God is good? And all the time, amen. And where James is showing us this truth is starting in this verse. He's showing us that God is good. He is the source of all good and perfect gifts that we receive. These gifts don't come from within. They don't come from around us, but they come from above. They come down from the Father of lights. He is the source of all that is good. James emphasizes this by repeating this word every, twice. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. What's interesting is there are actually two Greek words in this verse that are both translated into gifts. And what these terms symbolize are that 
we see God's goodness in two different ways. The act of giving and the nature of his gifts. So they work synonymously together to show us God is good in his act of giving and the nature of his gifts. So that first aspect, the act of his giving, this aspect of God's character should not be overlooked. It should not be a shock to us that we see God giving good gifts. This is a part of his nature. This is a part of his character. When James writes every good gift, he is focusing on the act of God giving to his people. But let's be real. Not every act of giving is good. Now, from God it is. But from our own personal lives and our own experience, we can recognize that every act of giving is not always good. Think about this. Christmas is coming up, right? How many of you can honestly say that you're going to give all of your gifts out of a pure love for someone else? Yep. Some of us buy gifts for people because they have received one the season before and they feel like they need to give it back in order to pay someone back. Or we buy gifts because we know that we are going to offend someone or they might feel hurt if we don't buy them a gift. But the act of God giving is good and perfect. He doesn't give out of want or desire to receive something. He gives because he is good and he gives good gifts to his children. And then we see the nature of God's gifts. We can ask the question, what does he give? He gives perfect gifts. This word perfect is the second time and kind of bookends James's encouragement to those believers in Christ. James is using this word perfection not as a way in which he is encouraging his brothers and sisters to be sinless and spotless, which he is calling them to be, but he's telling them that in the midst of trials, perfection is spiritual maturity. The trials of life are not meant to cause us to doubt God or to question his goodness, or lead us into temptation. They are designed to lead us into maturity in Christ. That's what that phrase, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, means. Now here's the reality of trials. Here's the reality of walking through struggles. It does not mean that every gift, even though it is perfect, meant to grow us in maturity, doesn't mean that God's Gifts of trial are desirable, comfortable, or pleasurable. Not every gift is going to be comfortable. Not every gift of trial is going to be desirable. Joseph would not have wanted to be sold into slavery. That would not have been desirable or comfortable. But what does he say at the end of his time in Genesis 50? When he's speaking to his brothers, And he reminds them of God's goodness. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. We're reminded of Paul's writings in Romans 8 when he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God's good and perfect gifts are are, are meant to help us grow in our maturity. And this is the nature of his gifts, to make us more like Christ. So this is the first point that James shows us, is that he is the source of all good and perfect gifts. 
Now, in his sovereign goodness, James shows us that it is a process in which we receive these good and perfect gifts that grow us. He says, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James shows us that coming down is a way in which he shows more of God's continual sovereign goodness in blessing his children. And I don't want to really get super technical with you guys this morning, but coming down in Greek means it is a present participle, which means that it is a continual, never-ending flow. So God's good and perfect gifts coming down means that they are constantly being brought to the people of God. H.B. Charles Jr. says, Every good and perfect gift is from God above who pours them down in a constant stream that never ceases to flow. Lamentations would remind us the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So here is the wisdom that James calls us as we read this passage to seek when it comes to not doubting, when it comes to seeking the wisdom of God. He says the way in which we respond to trials, the way that we respond to tests, the way that we respond to temptation is by looking to God. Looking to God. Because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. As David writes in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. So God, in his sovereign goodness, blesses his children, pours out his goodness to them as a constant stream that never ceases to flow. And then we see James calling God the Father of lights, where there is no variance or shadow due to change. So every good and perfect gift comes down from God. It, it is a continual stream that comes from the Father above. Now this phrase, Father of lights, is a typical Jewish way in which they write about God without directly writing His name or mentioning Him as Yahweh or Lord. Yet this reverent ascription says so much about God the Father and His character. And we see two themes being highlighted in James's phrase, Father of lights. The first is that He is the creator of all things. And the second is that He cares for His people. He is the creator of all things, being that He created creation. And what James is trying to get us to think about is the creation story. The lights mentioned here are referencing the heavenly lights above. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, all of the heavenly bodies. And to say that God is the father of these lights is to say that he created them and he controls them and he sustains them. Genesis 1.1 proves this. The beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. David reminds us in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God the Father created all the heavens. And when Scripture affirms God's truth about creation, there's an, always an embedded theological assumption that we have to understand. The one who creates a thing is greater than and thus controls the thing he creates. 
And so when James calls God the Father of lights, what he's doing is saying that God reigns over these heavenly bodies with sovereign authority. And being the one who controls all things, having sovereign control over all things, he is able to give what is necessary, useful, and good for those to be sustained, but also flowing into the lives of his creatures made in his image, which would be us. He's able to then give every useful, necessary, and good gift for our maturity. Yet sometimes we doubt God in our trials. Sometimes we are deceived that he's not there. We're deceived that he doesn't care for us. We're deceived in thinking that he isn't comforting us. So I want to encourage you by this example that I read from A.W. Robertson talking about the Father of Lights. He writes, being that God is the creator of the sun, we know that it was created for light. This is its essential nature. And like the sun, God does not vary in his essential nature. That is, he is always good. But on earth, we do not always experience the steady light of the sun. It varies on cloudy days, at night, and with changing seasons. James means that when we experience what seems to be cloudy days or dark nights of the soul, we must not make the mistake of thinking that God has changed his essential goodness towards us, towards you. His nature and his purpose towards his children are steady and unchanging. Therefore, we, as his children, can trust him at all times in every difficult circumstance because he is sovereignly good. So what do we do when we are walking through the dark nights of the soul? What do we do when it doesn't feel like the sun is shining upon us, like a dark cloud is over us? We turn our eyes to Jesus. As the old hymn says, we look, we look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In your trials, trust in God's goodness, who gives good and perfect gifts to his children, even when you can't feel it, even when it doesn't feel like he is comforting you or he's there for you. He is, because his character never changes. And that's the next thing that James shows us, is that God is never changing. His goodness never changes for his people. This word variation used here is only used in this passage in, this new, in the New Testament. And what James is trying to highlight here is a constant change of heavenly bodies. He's saying that the sun, the moon, the stars, they absolutely do change. Now, maybe from our perspective, it doesn't always look like that, but we know that stars die. We know Mutations happen. We know that there are variations of different kinds that are constantly, constantly taking place in the heavens. But this is not the case with God. And this is what James is trying to draw out, that there is no variation in God. He is, as most theologians would call him, immutable. He never changes. Hebrews 13, 8 reminds us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. 
He never changes. And as James goes on to say, there is no shadow due to change. He is further rooting this reality, this truth. What he's trying to show is that in this world, there are things that change. There are things that seem to be with variation, that bring shadows. But just because things change in this world, God does not. And the things that change in this world, they cannot block, hinder, obscure, or eclipse the goodness of God towards his people. Life may be hard. From my own experience of pastoring as well as in my own life, we all fall into three different camps when it comes to trials. We're either walking into a trial, we're in the midst of a trial, or we're walking out of a trial. But God is still good. And the difficulties of life do not cancel out the goodness of God. I love this story told by a pastor. He's talking about this old couple who were riding together. They were reminiscing about the early days of their relationship. And the wife said to her husband, Do you remember when we used to sit so close that people couldn't tell which one of us was driving? And the husband responded, Oh, I'm sorry. Then she asked the question, Why aren't we close like that anymore? And the husband responded, I don't know, but I haven't moved. It's this reality that when we don't feel close to God, or it feels like things have changed, God's character is not. His goodness has not. And so if God seems far away, maybe it is us that needs a different perspective or a different understanding, or maybe we are being deceived in the midst of trial because God is a good God who gives good and perfect gifts to those he loves. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even in the middle of our trials, He remains the same. His love never fails. So run to Him. Fix your eyes on Him. Trust in Him. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And His perfect goodness, and in His perfect goodness, He gives good and perfect gifts to His children. Look at those gifts that James shows us in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He brings us forth that we may be first fruits. I want you to see two things from this verse that show us that God gives us perfect and good gifts. The first is possession. He brings us forth. He calls us his own. Of all the gifts given to us, the greatest and most important gift is new birth and regeneration, a new heart being called to God and called his own. This phrase, he has brought us forth, shows us the doctrine of regeneration that we find in the New Testament. And regeneration is the sovereign and gracious act by which God gives us new life. Those who were once dead in their sins and trespasses, God brings forth and brings them and gives them a new heart and shows them new life. 
This is what Jesus explains to Nicodemus in John 3 when he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I've said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it will go. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is what God has done to us. If we are in Christ, He has brought us forth, given us new life. We have a new heart. We have new perspectives. We are united in Christ. And it is no longer we that live, but Christ that lives in us. This verb is the same word used in verse 15 when James says, Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And what James is trying to contrast here is sin brings forth death, but God brings forth new life. And this brought forth is, a, is emphasized by James showing us that this has happened once and for all. That you and I who are born again, it is done once and for all. It is not that we are born again and again and again and again. God has brought us forth into new life. And that is it. And we praise Him for it. For His good gift of mercy and grace to us who are once far off. We have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. And He did this by His will and through the word of truth. Here's the beautiful reality of regeneration and salvation for those of us who are in Christ. God saves us by a deliberate act of his sovereign goodness and grace. James emphasizes here the source of regeneration, the source of a new heart, is not our own works, is not something that's done outside of ourselves that we can muster up, but it is God's good will and it's God's good grace that he would choose to give us new life. Before Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. We don't have the ability or the will to choose God. But in His sovereign grace and mercy, He chooses to bestow His love upon us. A sinner cannot choose God any more than a dead man can choose to get up out of the grave. And James shows us that it is God who brings forth new life by His own will. And as Paul shows us, before the foundation of of the earth. As he writes in Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which has been bestowed upon us. In the beloved. God brought us forth by his will before the foundation of the earth. Not because he saw some goodness in the future that you might have or that you might choose him and therefore he brought you a part of his will back in time. No, it is his sovereign goodness and mercy that has saved us in Christ. And he does this through the word of his truth. This word of truth is the testimony of Jesus Christ. God saves sinners who hear and trust and believe in this truth. 
Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is how new life is formed. God calls us. He gives us a new heart. He gives us new desires, a new nature. He forgives forgives us of our sin, redeems us, adopts us, and calls us his own. And anyone who puts their trust and hope in him will also receive this reality, this new heart. And this new heart also shows us that we have a purpose. We have a purpose in being saved to show the glory of God and grow in maturity that we might, as James says, be the first fruits. Just as salvation is a gift from God, so are the trials that we walk through. As God refines us, we reflect more and more of his glory. We bear more fruit and we receive greater rewards. Spiritual growth often comes from God's will and oftentimes through trial. As Billy Graham says, comfort and prosperity have never enriched the world as much as adversity has. This is our purpose as believers in Christ. This is what we are called to do when we obey the command of loving God. We remain steadfast under trial that grows us in maturity. And we, as we are growing in maturity, are able to shine the light of the gospel in a dark and dying world. And those fruits that we are showing, that we are bearing, brings God glory and ultimately grows his kingdom, which is more fruit. This is why we're considered the first fruits, because our fruit then leads to more. So this is what James is calling his readers and us to. This is why he's encouraging them to not be deceived, but to trust in the goodness and sovereignty of God that he has called us by his own will in order to be the type of first fruits that proclaim his name. So how do we avoid deception in the midst of trial? How do we remain steadfast? By believing in his sovereign goodness and unchanging love for us, his people. This is what we must do. This is what we must battle And we do this. God gives us these tools. Communion is one of them. And we're going to take that here. We're going to celebrate and remember what God has done for us in Christ. But there's other tools that are all around us. God's word, his community, singing songs of praise, hearing God's people sing songs of praise. These are tools that help us to see the goodness and mercy of God and fight this deception. So guys, this is why it's so important to get into God's Word, to memorize it, to have it written on our hearts, to be plugged into gospel community that isn't just going on a surface level type of community, but one that allows people into our, your lives, our lives, in order for them to share the goodness and mercy of God. So how do we avoid deception? Again, by believing in God's sovereign goodness and unchanging love for his people. And one of the ways that we do experience this, as I mentioned earlier, is in communion. We experience this reminder, and it should be a way in which we fight the deception of Satan 
because we are looking at the truth that God has broken his body and shed his blood in order for us to be redeemed and adopted in. And so anytime we go to this table, we should be reminded this is our reality, that Christ died for me and that now I live for him because he lives in me. So if you guys don't have any of the elements, I'm going to encourage you to go grab some. And as you come back, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11 and we're going to partake of communion together. And then I'll close in prayer and then we will celebrate this reality that we have. This barrier that we have that we no longer have to be deceived. First Corinthians 11 says this, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took this bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, for which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hear what Paul says again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is how we fight deception. This is how we can battle doubts in the midst of trial. It's by taking communion and proclaiming to ourselves and proclaiming to others what Christ has done for us. So go ahead in your own time, take communion. And I'm going to close this in prayer. And then we are going to continue celebrating and worshiping this good and merciful God. Let's pray. Lord, just as we sang this morning, you are good and your mercies endure forever. Lord, I pray as we hear your word, this encouragement from James to not be deceived in the midst of trials, to not be tempted to think that you have caused us to sin, to not doubt, Lord, but to seek wisdom. All these things are ways in which we can have joy in the midst of trials, that we can remain steadfast knowing that as we remain steadfast, Lord, you are working in us to make us mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And so, Lord, I pray as we walk through this week, for those who are in, in the midst of trial, encourage them by your word, by this gospel community around them, that they don't have to be deceived, that you care for them, that you are with them, and that your love for them never fails. Help them to be reminded that the weight that they're carrying is not meant for them. But as you remind us, Lord, to cast all our burdens on you because you care for us. So for all the weary and all the brokenhearted in here this morning, May you remind us of this gentle truth. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at